Following the methodology from our best-selling book, The Resilient Shield, we are delighted to announce the inaugural Resilience Retreat, which will occur in far north Queensland between Thursday the 27th of October and Sunday the 30th of October. The whole point of the retreat is to give you the ability to build your shield, to develop your knowledge and understanding of the key principles related to resilience, to enhance your toolkit and to optimise your performance. Come and be part of an incredible group of humans that are like-minded, meet our facilitators and motivational speakers. To find out more, email us at retreat at resilientshield.com. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Like intellectual bowerbirds, we aim to collect shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans. G'day everyone and welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Ben Pronk. And I'm Tim Curtis. You are. Tim, I was given the book, Penguin Bloom, I don't know, I've got to say about five years ago, and my whole family loved it. Just sort of fell in love with the idea, just such a beautiful story and um, beautiful pictures, an incredible tale of of, um, a family nursing a penguin, uh, a penguin, a baby magpie named Penguin. Um, that had fallen from its uh, from its nest uh, back to life, but set against the backdrop of of the the tragedy that the family had just encountered, and and that was the the mother Sam uh, having fallen from a balcony while on holiday and, and broken her back, and just such a wonderful story, and you know had, had, as I said resonated really well with our family, and then a few weeks back I found myself on the same stage as Sam and. I was a, a little starstruck and, and got talking with her and Cam and just recognised how genuine and, and beautiful they are as humans. And that sort of led us to where we are today with having uh, both Cam and Sam as guests on the podcast. Yeah, pretty normal family. Mum, dad, three kids growing up on the northern beaches of New South Wales, holidaying in Thailand in 2013 when Sam had her fall, fell through a, a rotten balcony railing. Uh, Sam talks about hitting the ground, not remembering too much, and Cam says she was struggling to breathe. No surprises. Both of her lungs were ruptured. Mm. Her skull was fractured, and a spinal cord was shattered. Um, she spent some time in Thailand before being medically evacuated back to Australia and spent a phenomenal amount of time in Royal North Shore Hospital. One of the interesting parts, though, is you think she'd be pretty buoyant about getting out of hospital and going home. Yeah, but as we're going to discover when we talk with Sam and Cam, um, almost that anti-climax and, mm. and the, the sort of uh, reality setting in was, was some of their darkest moments and enter stage left, a, a fluffy little magpie chick and, and you know, not to, to underplay the, the amazing um, uh, resilience and, and spirit demonstrated by both Sam and Cam and indeed their boys in the, the whole journey. And, and we're going to talk to them about that, about the the process, about the ups and downs, um, and then even some random stuff like what's it like having a Hollywood movie filmed in your house? Yes, and not to mention her re-entry into the water 
in parasurfing and, of course, her being a world champion. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about resilience. We are about to talk with with the poster children of resilience, I think, um, Cam and Sam Bloom. And along the way, we'll discover who Tim thinks should play him in a Hollywood remake of his life. Hollywood. Bollywood blockbuster. (laughs) (laughs) Bollywood blockbuster. My money's on Danny DeVito for that one. And we'll also discover a strange two degrees of unforgiving 60s separation in terms of Sam and another previous guest uh, on this podcast. Let's get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Ben Pronk and I am... No, I, I introduce you. I'm joined by Tim Curtis. G'day, Ben. <laughs> nice <laughs> to see you. Now you can speak. And we, once we get our act together, are absolutely delighted this week to be joined by two pretty amazing folk, Cam and Sam Bloom. How are you? We're good. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tim. Thank you for having us. Oh, no, thank you very much for, for your time. Now, clearly we're, we're going to talk um, a, a bunch of different aspects and, and sort of touch on some ideas of resilience, but um, in case there's anyone on the, the planet or certainly in this, this country who, who doesn't really uh, know of you, um, clearly the, the sort of best-selling books are uh, putting you in the, the household name sort of category, but Sam, would you mind by sort of talking us a bit through your background, uh, sort of where you grew up and and sort of maybe up to the the sort of point of the accident? Yeah, sure. Well, I've grown up on the northern beaches in Sydney, so I had a pretty awesome childhood. I lived just a few minutes walk from the beach. So, you know, I've spent my whole childhood essentially surfing, just like, yeah, hanging out at the beach. Um, When I was younger, my mum and dad used to take us camping a lot actually like I remember when I was in first I think it was first grade and we went for three months up the east coast of Australia and then up to Arnhem Land and Darwin and down through the middle so we've always kind of had this element of like traveling and exploring yep you know being a little bit adventurous so that's where I got um, my love of travel from and so yeah so um, once I finished school I did nursing at university which I always wanted to do. Again, it it came when I was in first grade. I always wanted to be a nurse, and I always wanted to work in Africa. Not sure where that came from, but I stuck to it. Seems like everything came to you in first grade. It did. It was massive in a very pivotal year. <laughs> that's that's about where and I so peaked. And so then, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I probably did peak then. It was then it was all downhill. <laughs> and when I was nineteen, I met Cam, who. Um, he was a pretty pretty cool surfer guy and he also loved traveling and loved meeting people and we had a lot of common interests and yeah before we before we leave the northern beaches of sydney am i right in saying so a a former guest on the show um we've had the the externals the original sas rock band and weema the the very charismatic drummer uh, sorry bass player for for the externals is also a northern uh beaches boy 
And my understanding is that his dad, so this is Matt, his dad was the baker and your dad was a butcher, or is it the uh, other way around? Matt's dad was a butcher. Opposite. Yeah, other so way around. Paul, yeah. yeah, Paul was the butcher and my dad was the baker. That's pretty cool. And and you yeah. guys knew I mean, each other growing up. growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we've kind of hung out since we were kids. You know, I remember windsurfing with them. Like, you know, um, Paul had a boat and we had a boat and so we'd all, you know, go around pit water on the boats, go windsurfing. Yeah, it was fun. That's super cool. Really fun. And and so, Cam, you, you've come on the scene at, at age 19. Um What's your sort of background up to there? You were you Northern Sydney, uh, Northern Beaches as well. Well, I was most Christmas time. <clears throat> I remember seeing Sam when she was a little tacker in her parents' cake shop, and only seeing her every Christmas. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't it wasn't until you know I was older and and then saw her at the pub that night that we sort of first got together. Um, that I realised um, how old she was. I always thought she was like three years under me because she was so small. <laughs> and um, and that's and that's yeah, that's kind of well. My childhood was was uh, on the North Shore of Sydney, and and we spent as much time as possible on the on the Northern Beaches. Um, and we didn't move here until I was sixteen. And so, clearly, I'm I'm really keen to talk about your your photography, and we'll link to some of your amazing work. Um, was that an interest that started as a child? Were you you did you get into to photography sort of prior to that stage, or was that something that developed a bit later in your life? My dad had always taken photographs, and I didn't really get the the spark from him per se. But I think it was my um, a cousin of mine who was a surf photographer, and that really was um, the time that I. I guess they had that inkling that maybe I could take surf photographs and, and that could be a, a path forward. And then dad bought me a, a, a Nikon camera and we went to Bali and I remember that very first moment of looking down the lens and, and focusing on this Balinese woman and the eye contact that she gave me. And it was really intense. And I was only probably 15 or something at the time. Yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, this is this is it, and and I basically began uh, a career in in the early days. I was a surf photographer, and then became a portrait photographer, and I shot a lot of weddings and a lot of editorial work for magazines, and and eventually settled on sort of corporate work, and that's still what, what I do today. You've got some wonderful pieces of art in the background. Is is art also a part of your life? Are you strictly photography? Yeah, I think it comes from our travels, really. Um, you know, we travelled extensively through the Middle East, and and you know, Sam through Africa a lot, and we've just always loved tribal art and mm. and the motives and and pottery and all sorts of um, art. When when you yeah, say? absolutely yeah, there's thing. You know, we love modern art, and we just, yeah, we just we love. I think the the different cultures is what what really um, has inspired us. Yeah. Any favourite destinations? Jeez, there's so many. I think we've well, settled on yeah. we've settled on Ethiopia. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved Mali in West Africa. Mm. I loved Ghana because I love the people. You're going to show off now? No, I'm not. No, I'm just really... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the, you know the places that really meant something, 
And I love Bhutan because I mm-hmm. love the people there too. There are so many. There are so many. I was going to ask. For us, it's never been. <laughs> you go. For us, it's never been about the necessarily the landscape or the animals. It's always been the people, and our most you know cherished memories have always been with, um, with people that have been incredibly generous or just opened up their lives to us, whether it be in a little shack in Kenya or you know a drinking coffee in Ethiopia. Yeah. Um, those experiences is what I think any traveler really remembers. Maybe, maybe being, you know, um, stampeded by elephants, perhaps, but we didn't, we didn't experience that. So. Sidestep them. Isn't it funny yeah. how you can form these opinions of other groups of people and, you know, they can be really entrenched. And then when you meet them and you actually engage, you know, the commonality far outweighs, you know, any of the differences. And even we're seeing it, and I think, you know, social media is driving this a lot, that we're getting polarised and, you know, Democrats Democrats or Republicans or, you know, Russians are bad guys and all this sort of stuff. And it's just not that simple or black and white, is it? There's so much goodness out there. And, and I'm, I'm with you that, by and large, the, the travel, um, I think, really opens your eyes to the fact that we are so similar and, and that generally people are good. Exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. Speaking about coffee in Ethiopia, I had the fortune a few years ago to go and do some work in the Aromia region. And if there is any doubt in anyone's mind that where the best coffee is, it is there. Unbelievable, the coffee in Aromia, uh, Ethiopia. Mm. So, yeah, is that so northern we're, yeah, we're Ethiopia? That. It's actually uh, western Ethiopia. Yeah, it's probably okay. three hours drive from uh, Addis. It's been a contested area now for some time. Uh, the local people uh, seeking some element of independence. So there's been some conflict there through the recent years. But good coffee, bringing wow. them together. So do, do they, are they um, near Sudan? Uh, not that far, no. Right. Yeah. So clearly, um, once your your sort of eyes met and you recognised the the little girl from the the bakery, um, a, a lot of your your time together, there, there has been travel as a constant theme um, through that. Every yes, every, every year. year, yeah. I mean, our our biggest trip was when I finished uni, and that's when you know we did what everybody else does after uni, go to Europe, and <laughs> that's why right, we, we had, didn't really no, go. We had that travel. You know, remember the Euro, no, the Ural, Ural? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not the Eurostar. Yeah, Ural. Ural, the travel pass. Yeah. yeah. We're showing our yeah. age. <laughs> no. There's probably no such thing now. We were actually going to um, travel around Europe because we flew into Italy and then we sort of went to Greece and then Turkey. And then from there, we actually just headed down through the Middle East because we just absolutely loved it. Mm. So we sort of bypassed Europe. Mm. We hitched our way all the way along the Black Sea coast of Turkey, all the way up towards Georgia, and um, just had an incredible experience in Turkey. We spent about six six weeks, and then eventually came through the middle of Turkey, and then down into Syria, into Aleppo, and and through to Palmyra, and um, briefly to Damascus, and then across to Jordan. Jordan, yeah. yeah. We slept. I uh, went to Petra, and we just had such a such a wild time. And I can't believe we 
we did it all with our backpacks and mm. and yet still managed um, to collect and and bring various things home with us. <laughs> well, and some of those experiences... Cam is a little bit of a hoarder. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> um, I was going to say some of those experiences, you know, you, you probably can't have again. I, I remember talking to Tim who spent a bit of time in Damascus mm. and him, you know, reflecting on what a beautiful city it was and that ain't necessarily the case anymore. Mm. Mm. It's a real shame. Um, and so it was on uh, one of your travels in, in Thailand that, of, of course, things changed pretty markedly. Yes. Um, so we, we have three boys and we wanted to um, obviously show them the world as well. It's really frustrating because our initial plan was actually to take them to Ethiopia. So we were going to fly to Egypt, obviously um, show them the pyramids and then, then fly down to Addis. And just at the time... Um, it was too dangerous to go to Cairo because I think there was a lot of unrest. Mm-hmm. So that's why we chose Thailand. Yes, we thought, you know, it's safe to Phuket. And um, we started heading north. So we found this really nice hotel, sort of in the middle of, it was halfway between Phuket and Bangkok. And it was quite remote. And we were there for two days. And that's when one of the kids spotted like an observation deck. So um, we all climbed up the stairs and um, I leant on the railing and I didn't realise that it had dry rot. So I fell backwards and fell six metres and broke my back and, yeah, sustained numerous injuries. So it wasn't my best holiday. (laughs) (laughs) It's not mine. No, not yours. No, nor the kids. (laughs) No, it was pretty horrific because the boys or some of the boys saw Sam fall and, you know, there was... um at at the time oh, i just heard this incredible um sound of of like clanging and it was the railing that had that had hit the concrete tiles below and i just raced to the edge and and lever and and sam was sort of lying there on her on her back and it wasn't until i raced down the stairs and then i noticed you know this pool of blood just sort of growing from from her head and i thought that sam you know must have been for sure, like brain dead. That was my sort of fear and Sam could hardly breathe and she was like gasping for, for breath and making terrible sounds. And it was, I, I sort of rolled her over and I just saw this huge lump in her back and then realised that she she must have, um, I don't even know actually if I'd realised that you'd broken your back then, mm-hmm. but I just knew that was um, not a good shape and you know an ambulance came not not too um much later it was probably 10 15 minutes before Mm -hmm. an ambulance came and we just went to a very small local hospital and they x-rayed sam and we saw the x-ray they didn't speak any english and they said that we really need to get sam into a bigger hospital and that's when we spent another sort of four hours traveling with the boys in this ambulance to a private hospital um and they operated on Sam two days later. She was still unstable and couldn't be operated on until then. They flew a, a surgeon down from Bangkok and ended up putting screws and rods in, in her back. And, and then Sam sort of woke up a day or so later. Mm. What's your recollection of the incident, Sam? I have none. Mm. It's so bizarre. I actually don't even remember walking up the stairs. I remember that morning because... We all went swimming and we're all having a really great time. And I remember we ordered a juice and that's it. 
that's that's the last I remember. And you, didn't you remember them putting the mask over you? No, it was, that was um oh, that was when I was in, in hospital. hospital. Mm. Yeah, so my first actual memory, I'm assuming it was maybe two days after I'd fallen, and my mum and my sister had flown over, and I and I I think I still had my cosy on and my t-shirt, and I remember saying to them, "What are you guys doing here?" Mm. And then I remember saying to mum, "I must have been strapped to the spinal board." And I remember saying to mum, I want to get up. I want to get up. This is really hurting. Mm. I'm like squashing my, my chest. And then my second memory, which is pretty vivid, is I was in theatre. <clears throat> Sorry, mate. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I was in theatre and I actually didn't know I was in theatre. And I remember them putting, I'm assuming it's central under my neck because that really hurt. And then I saw my T-shirt um, being pulled up and they cut that off. And then you just see that mask come down over your face. So that they are my only memories, and I had I had no idea what was happening or what like yeah what injuries I had sustained. And they, they the doctors kept telling me that Sam had a lot of inflammation around her spine, and that the feeling may come back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they, none of us really knew, and I think they were kind of protecting us. I think they were just being nice. Yeah, they were, I think they they were saying that spinal shock. Yeah. So I actually had no idea I was paralyzed. Is there such a thing, um, Ben and Jim? <laughs> I, I have never. I've heard of spinal tap, the, the band. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe it's a Thai term. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, had, I didn't realize I was paralyzed, mm. which is kind of strange. But I think at that time, because I'd hit my head and I'd like had yeah. subdural and ostrodural um, hematomas, that was my main focus. I just had the most insane headaches. Yeah. And I think the Thai nurses, they just come in and just inject, I don't know what, some sort of painkiller. So I was pretty out of it. I remember, yeah, I think I was kind of, I don't ever remember eating. I don't really remember seeing the boys. I remember my friend, she also flew over. Mm. And when she walked into the room, I, I burst into tears. I remember that. But, yeah, it's just so bizarre. Okay. You know, I think actually, I think I did say in the ambulance to Cam, I can't move my legs, hmm. but I don't remember yeah. saying that. Do yeah. you not remember that? You told well, you me didn't. that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's hard. Mem- memory is such yeah. a strange thing. You you think that you know you're remembering it, but did I say that? And am I remembering just saying that, or is it the actual memory? Memory is so subject subjective. Yeah. I remember when when we were writing the book and Bradley was interviewing me and then separately interviewing sam and we both had like such different experiences of certain times one of us would remember one thing that was completely different to the other person and it's uh yeah it's really interesting how how, you know your perception of of a moment perhaps changes particularly under stress i I think we've spoken about this before but a couple of incidents from combat we we had one that sticks in my mind particularly a a guy in the patrol vividly remembers seeing a bad guy in a position and and you know described him perfectly and all that sort of stuff but when we did the after action review he'd been on the other side of a feature and the other side of a building he physically was never in a position where he could have seen this this person but he developed a memory from talking with other people you know un- under that stress he, he it was real to him but it it never you know he never saw it and yeah it, it's to your point cam that Incredible. memories are so mm. i guess malleable and, and subjective they can change and, mm. and can be created mm. 
I've been sitting, watching you go as I just stay the same. I'm starting to think that I'm going nowhere fast. I feel the pressure building, falling upon me. I'm buried how this isn't a game that I'm playing. Oh, it's time to end this now. realize the severity of the incident oh i didn't realize until um i was flown back to australia so it was about three weeks after the accident and then i was flown back and um i ended up in ronald shore hospital and it was my second day there and they took me down for an mri and that's when the doctor came up and he was so blunt like you know he was a young like nice looking guy and, and I asked him, like, I said, will I walk again? He was, he just went, no, like, you know, you're not going to walk again kind of thing. And I, I just remember my mum was with me at the time. And, um, oh, yeah, because Cam was still in Thailand trying to organise, I don't know, police reports or whatever you were doing. Mm. And I just pulled this sheet over my head and, and I just burst into tears. So that's how I found out. I just wish he'd given me, like, just a little bit of hope. Yeah. You know, obviously he has to be honest and yes, my injuries were pretty bad, but if he just said, you never know, like, you know, mm. things might change. Keep or working just, on your, on yeah, your, on your rehab. Try, yeah. Yeah. Just mm. try and stay yeah. And Cam, I'm, I mean, clearly this is a, a incredibly impactful time. How did you cope? I mean, there must've been so many different things coming at you massively, you know, obviously concerned about Sam's welfare, but you've got three boys there, even just the admin of a holiday. I assume there's suitcases and stuff in a hotel somewhere and you're in a hospital and then you've got the police report and all that sort of stuff. Were you just on 100% adrenaline or were you able to, to sort of... I think so. Yeah. There was uh, initially, I think we had we had really good support in Thailand. My brother came, Sam's sister came, my sister yeah, came, came, Sam's mum came. In Bronwyn, Sam's friend came. So we we had the boys kind of looked after mm. to to that extent, and they actually came home early with um with my sister. So uh, yeah, I was dealing with some of the police and legal avenues. We we looked at if there was any um opportunity of of uh, getting some money from the the hotel, which really didn't happened at all because it was a, a tiny little family-run hotel mm. so essentially it was just bad luck and you know my, my focus was not going down that path but really to come back to australia and, and be with sam yeah. so that's pretty well when when it felt like i don't know maybe like a meteor shower it was just <laughs> stuff coming at you like constantly and 
it required enormous focus and I hated distraction. I, I, I really needed like time spent in the car was really valuable because I would just drive up to see Sam in hospital, which was maybe 40 minutes away. And I would just go through all these things in my head and then you'd be thinking, you know, Ollie's got to get to football on Saturday and then, you know, Noah's got music class or whatever it was, you know, there was all these things. And then you're thinking, oh my God, we've got to redesign the whole bathroom because, you know, gee, Sam's going to be in a wheelchair. That's not going to work or this is not going to work. We're going to need a new bed. We're going to need, you know, so all these things and people are offering support and saying, you know, do you want me to cook your dinner? And, I'm going, oh my God, oh my God. It's sort of a bit like mm, that. But yeah. you just, you ended up focusing on, well, I I did what was most important and and that was Sam and, and the boys. And, and I think things just that weren't important kind of just sort of drifted off in, in, into the background. So um, Sam spent six months in hospital. So it was a long, a long time to to adjust and i think the the boys you know coped really well they obviously missed not having sam here um and we we got used to it we we, i guess we did fall into a bit of a routine and and we were actually really excited to find out you know that mum was coming home in in a couple of weeks and you know the house was wasn't quite ready (laughs) the kitchen had been finished uh oh really (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, uh, um, I was I was trying. Blame it on the thing. bloody Come on. Yeah. So. Yeah. We yeah we were almost there I think. Anyway, uh, and it actually was like the, the worst experience out of the six months because when Sam came home, it was like I was thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to be so much happier. She's going to be home. She get to look at the view because we we have a nice you know view over the valley into Newport and the beach. And as it turned out, it was it was the opposite. And and that was for well not just for me but for all of us. So I think that was one of the hardest times. Mm. And how how long did that hardest time last? And maybe Sam, what was going through your head as you arrived home? Oh, geez, when I came home, I think that's when the reality kicked in. But did you look forward to coming home? Like, Not like... probably as much as you guys look forward to. I was just comfortable at rehab, you know. Mm. I wasn't the only one in the wheelchair. Obviously, you know, all of us had sustained a spinal cord injury and it just felt safe there. Mm. So then when I came home, I was kind of like, well, I can't do anything that I used to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't run down to the shops. I couldn't even do silly things like like mum things. Like I couldn't clean the house, make the beds, um, just just do normal things. Mm. Yeah, I was just, I think I was just overwhelmed with my new reality and I really did not like it. How, so, did, how did you yeah, get through it, Sam? Through. I mean, to put maybe the second part of my question, how long did it last and, and, and how did you get oh, through yeah, it? So it? Gosh, it how probably many years? lasted for a long time. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I it's, mean, it's, it's like a... A, it's like an ongoing a, a graph that yeah. that slowly slowly it gets a little easier diminished. but you know i still sometimes i still um don't particularly like living here because mm. like look out of our window and you see my favorite surf spot where i grew up mm. and so that's i find that really frustrating yeah. or if i look that way um i can see the national park where i used to go mountain biking so it's sort of like everything that i loved doing was right in front of me but i knew i couldn't do it 
So I found that really, really hard. Yeah, still do. <laughs> and I guess quite famously, one of the things that, that maybe helped was a, a little fluffy magpie chick. Uh, yes. It was, it was a big a big shift in, in like, I think, the energy in, in the house because it was very, it was very dark. <laughs> and I think it was almost pretty well like at your lowest point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, because we didn't find Penguin until three months after I came home from hospital. And and I was pretty bad. I was, yeah, I've, I've never felt like that before. Mm. Like, I honestly, I wish I died. I would think about suicide all the time. I wouldn't have done it because I wouldn't have, I couldn't have put Cam and the kids through, through like another trauma. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was, I was just, yeah, I was just so, so sad. And I pushed everybody away. Like people used to let friends and, and you know, people around the area, other mums would pop in, and and I didn't like them. I didn't like them coming in to see me because I was embarrassed. Because mm. they used to be like super active, you know. I was a striker, playing soccer, and you know, I was always running around. And, and then here I am in a wheelchair. And, and this sounds really weird, but I couldn't wear any of my old clothes, and I, I it wasn't I wasn't me. It's was like my whole identity had been mm. taken away. Mm, yeah, wow. so, yeah, I found that really challenging. So. I just pushed them away and that's kind of how I coped. I almost wanted to stay in my own little bubble and just sort of deal with it in a way on my own. And I was also envious because they'd come up and, you know, they'd be like, oh, I've just been down the beach or I've just been, you know, training or going for a run and I didn't want to hear that, which sounds really terrible, but no, it it just rubbed it in. It rubbed it in too much what I'd lost. And then, and again, you kind of think, well, if like one of the friends came up to visit Sam, what were they going to say? They're not like, you know, like they, I guess we've often sort of said, oh, just, you know, just be normal or just talk about normal things, but that can still be, I guess, painful. Especially at the beginning. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, you want, you want to be treated like normal and not, and not be pitied. Well, I'm speaking on your behalf now. But but no, it's true. It is true. Yeah, you know, I would get the, that look, you know, the look of like, oh, I'm so sorry. Poor and this is yeah. like, oh. Yeah, so it's very, it's a very difficult situation for not only for Sam but for well, friends for and for, for our mums or, you know, who who would sometimes come up, my mum especially, you know, oh, just just been to yoga and it's like, oh, for God's sake, mum. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, but, I just went on the most beautiful bushwalk. Yes. Yeah, but she's 80, so I, 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got a sore elbow. <laughs> you know, so it's it's one of those things. Sam doesn't feel a, a lot of um, compassion, empathy to, to other people <laughs> suffering minor injuries. <laughs> so, yeah, so going back to penguins. So I've yeah. been home for three months, and then Noah and I um, went to my mum's house. And it was, yeah, really windy day and I wasn't driving at the time. So mum had to drive us home. So we went out to her car and that's when Noah found a little baby magpie that had been blown out and she was so tiny and so vulnerable. So we thought if we left her there, she would have died. So we picked her up and brought her home. And I think she just changed, like Cam said, she changed the, the energy in our house. You know, Everybody, including myself, put all our focus and energy into her because she was so, she was so needy and, She's so adorable. Mm. So, yeah, that really kind of, yeah, she's brought happiness 
which was really lovely because I thought I'd, I don't know, it felt like I had like this dark cloud always over me and then I just would bring everybody down. Sam was like a little lunatic drawing. <laughs> With the, yeah, yeah. With the rain always falling over Sam. <laughs> And, and Cam, clearly, you know, really keen to talk about sort of how this this turned into the the book of the same name, Penguin Bloom. But you obviously were were taking photos throughout all this stage. Is that just normal? You 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 normally just take photos, or, or were you deliberately thinking this is something I want to chronicle? No, far, far from it. You know, ever since the boys were were born, even when they're in Sam's tummy, I was taking photos of, you know, of the boys. So it's just something that I. I love documenting and the opportunity was so unique. We never, you know, I mean, she, as she got older, we thought that she may fly away or so it, it was just this random kind of experience where she, she lived in the house and she lived out of the house. And when she came home, it was, you know, lively and chaotic at times. Mm. And there were some really, you know, magical moments that were worth capturing. So my cameras were always in the lounge room and, and you know, she, she sometimes would be here. Uh, well, certainly in the beginning, she was here for, you know, at least six months before sort of venturing off. I, I remember she started going down to the kindy um, down the road, which is about 100 metres away, and she would, she would eat all the kids' sandwiches at morning tea time. <laughs> and we would get a call from the principal down there, oh, Cameron, Penguin's down here, you're going to have to come and get her. <laughs> and it was it was. She became known in, in the neighbourhood because she did have a, a unique voice. She sang this incredible song that didn't sound like a magpie. And the boys would be able to sort of sing to her, particularly Reuben, and she would copy Reuben and, and sing back. Mm. And it was it was a really, I mean, as it was a beautiful experience for Sam and, and me, it was as, as important, I think, for, for the kids to, mm. to experience that wild sort of, you know, nature coming into their house, and that that really comes through in the the photos within the book, doesn't it? You know, that the the sort of boys and teaching penguin to fly, and the, the sort of wonderful <laughs> connection that they seem to have. Um, with, yeah, with I think penguin. they, I think, I think penguin taught the boys as much as you know, other way around. Mm. And how about the boys? I mean, outside of the introduction of penguin into the family, how can you? rebuild them you know some have borne witness to the fact that Sam you've fallen uh, were there other techniques that you use to keep the family together keep the boys focused and orientated and, and in good headspace no I think we just carried on as normal like you know there are it's funny when when Sam had had our accident you know the, it's not like we were going to say to the boys oh you can't ride your bikes now you can't go mm. you know skateboarding or you know I've, I've still got photos of them jumping off the roof you know <laughs> onto the trampoline we had a trampoline without any nets you know all those sort of things that was just us you know not that we we took you know unnecessary risks or anything but um we didn't want to stop living and i'm sure sam felt the same way yeah absolutely we didn't want to you know put like fear, fear. we yeah. wanted them to be fearful of like doing something because we've always like clambered around the rocks around the beach and you know i mean the boys have always climbed trees and and that i mean you still get the willies when you see them up mm. at 40 degree. but um yeah so that was important just to continue life and and um for them to to grow up normally 
So I, I think they, I mean, geez, it could have, it could have gone the other way. You know, maybe one of them could have been really, um, had I guess some form of PTSD from it, but but none. They all came through. Yeah, they they all. Yeah, really good. It would be interesting if if like, um, one of them was interviewed on a on a sort of deeper level on you know like if there were any any issues there but i yeah i don't know i don't mm. think there is mm. no, but i think it was hard for noah um because out of all of our kids he's the one who surfed mm. and so when i came home it was like my first summer and you know like i said i was not in a good headspace and then because we live so close to the beach he'd grab his surfboard then he'd look at me and he'd go oh i'm so sorry mom i know you'd love to go surfing and that made me feel so guilty so oh, I'd say, I'd like, no, you just go and get an awesome wave and that would make me happy. So, yeah, I think it was really challenging for the kids. And Ollie, like Ollie's, um, Ollie's was the, he's the baby. And I used to, I'd try not to cry in front of them. So I'd used to either cry in the bathroom or sort of <laughs> in the shower, very silently. <laughs> or, you know, kind of like. How come off. Sam's having such a long shower? <laughs> 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 Yeah. Or, you know, I'd wander off into our bedroom. And I remember one day he came in, you know, I'd be like wiping the tears. And he'd be like, you know, oh, are you okay, mom? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then he'd be like, well, if you're sad, I'm sad. Mm. So it was just this ongoing guilt of like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, it was, I found it really hard. I just, I just felt really guilty as a mum because, you know, before um, we left for Thailand, I was always happy and energetic and like, you know, riding skateboards with them and just doing fun things. Mm. Sam was the ultimate tomboy. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. Mm. Still be able to. Still, still tomboy. <laughs> and I can't stop thinking where should I go next from here? And as I watch you, I can't help but wonder why good things happen to people like you. My thoughts are so far ahead of me It's so hard to be patient But I never needed you So don't think that I do So how did that sort of that period in time and that, that collection of, of photographs you were, you were taking almost incidentally, you know, chronicling your, your sort of lives in general, what, what was the idea to, to turn that into a book? How did that, that come about? It was because the boys had suggested uh, we start an Instagram account and that was just for fun though of course and and it was uh just a natural progression of me putting images of you know penguin picking one of the boy's eyes or whatever just funny things and then it started gaining quite a lot of traction and then an article came out on the abc a digital uh, article where they wrote um something about a, a magpie and said I think that I think someone had taken a picture of a magpie standing on on a station and and they said is that penguin and the journalist wrote 
you know, who's Penguin and started delving a bit further. And then he contacted me and said, oh, wow, you've got an incredible story. Can I write about it? And it was it was when that article came out. I, I distinctly remember it was the front page story <laughs> alongside Tony Abbott, the prime minister at the time, and the picture of, um, I think, Ollie getting his, brushing his teeth and uh, Penguin diving, you know, her mouth into, into Ollie's mouth. And from from that moment, uh, all, all the papers and various um, digital media started republishing images and stories. And, and then I started getting calls from publishers saying, we want to do a book on, on you know, Penguin and, and your family. And I just thought, that's such a weird idea. Who, who'd want to? No, really, I, I thought it was. We both we thought it was hilarious. So, so, well, so odd. Like, who's going to buy a book about our family? Well, no, and well, just photos of us. photos of of someone else's kids. Like, it was just so foreign to me. And I had a call from the ABC, one of the ABC publishers, uh, Brigitte Doyle, and she sounded like the most beautiful woman on the phone. We really connected, and I said, I think, you know, the story should be. You know, if we're going to do a book, the story really should be focusing on like Sam's recovery as well. And she had said to me, "Who's Sam?" <laughs> and and she had no idea. I mean, obviously, our close friends knew about Sam's accident and her David gradual. Told, like, I didn't let Cam take my photo with, in the wheelchair. Mm. So if, there were if, not many images of Sam. If 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 I had Penguin on my shoulder, I'd be like, okay, sure, you can take the photo of Penguin and I. But don't exactly don't shoot the wheelchair. Mm. So no one, unless you know, obviously our friends and family knew what mm. had happened, but no one else knew. That's so because I, 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 I had I, a I thought, conversation. Yeah, I mean, I thought it, the. I mean, clearly the story is so interlinked with Sam's accident, and that's interesting that the the initial interest was was just on on the beautiful photos that you took and and penguin as a as a cheeky mm. moonpie. Yes. So. When, when I spoke to Brigida about Sam's story and, and her gradual recovery, uh, she, she was fascinated. And then I, I reached out to Bradley uh, Trevor Grieve, who is quite a well-known author. He lives in, in LA. And I said to him, you know, I've been getting all these, you know, messages from publishers wanting to do a book. I really think, you know, Sam's story is, is interesting as well. And he said, let me think about it. This, I think I know, I think I know the, the, uh, not the solution, but the, the I've angle. got a great idea. Yeah. yeah the, and he's, we got on so well on the phone and, and I ended up asking him, you know, do you, do, do you want to write the book? And he said, let me get back to you in 24 hours. And he put like the, a really quick synopsis of saying, we can tell Sam's journey through Penguin. And I was like, oh, this guy's a genius. And, and no, really, I, I, I thought it was such a, a great idea. And so we spent basically, I think, or more than a year um, collating all the images I had shot at the time, maybe about 13,000 images. And I sent him about four or two, two or 4,000 images to go through. And he was not looking for like the hero image or, you know, the most spectacular. He was really interested in like the nuances of, you know, like penguin getting lost around the house or things that could help tell, you know, Sam's, mm. Sam's story. Mm. And it was really interesting watching the way he worked 
and and choosing images. And we would, you know, sometimes argue over some images and and things like that. But by and large, um, he he basically spent you know so much time with Sam, and it was really such a great experience for the for the two of us because we actually worked quite independently. Yeah. So I spent. I didn't know Bradley, and then um. And then because he lives in LA, so we would just Skype. And at first I think I was a bit reserved because, you know, I didn't know him. Yeah. I didn't want to tell him everything. And then as time went on, it was I loved it because we became really good friends and we would spend hours and hours talking. So it was really good for me. And Bradley used to be a paratrooper and he's also sustained like so many injuries. And I don't know, it was just lovely. Just sort of he'd tell me all his problems and I would tell him my problems. And it was just a really beautiful relationship. Mm. So that's how it sort of all started. Mm. I was going to ask, was was that process, was it was it difficult for you sort of reliving all all of the the sort of experiences or was it kind of cathartic? I think it was cathartic. Yeah, yeah I didn't find it yeah, no, I didn't find it um sad. Not I mean no, not talking about myself. The only the only um, time I would get a bit sad is talking about the boys, and the impact it had on them, and and feeling so guilty as a mum. That was a little bit. Sad. I, I think the saddest um, part for me was when he he would send well he sent through the draft or the first draft, and I and I started reading it and go, oh my god, I can't get through this. This is. <laughs> Because it was then that you realize, oh wow, this you know this is our story, and and he just was able to create such beautiful feeling, and um, yeah, just it was very emotional, yeah. And so the the end result of that was Penguin Bloom, the book, correct? Yeah. And then Sam Bloom, the book followed after that. Well, quite yeah, a, a, a few years after yeah. Penguin Bloom came out. The focus yeah. was on actually trying to get the book published in other territories and, and languages. And uh, I think all up, it, it's probably been um, published in about 14 different languages. And it was the the book that went to Naomi Watts um, in the early stages. And it was when she she read she read the book and, and wanted to um, option the movie and all well, the book sorry to to create the movie and sam bloom we didn't think that was going to be another book at all and did we no not at all Mm. so that would have been bradley's idea oh i think i think so (laughs) no i i i don't no i no it stems from the back of the first book Mm. all the messages that came so when when we wrote penguin bloom at the which was all in my voice at the very end of Penguin, there's a message from Sam. And there was so many really incredible, there was a really incredible reaction from, from people who thought that what Sam had sort of expressed, it really, well, it re- really resonated with them. And I think it was from that that the second book was kind of born. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, I agree, I agree. Because I used to write a lot of things down on my phone, which um, Cam still yet to see. Um, it was it was very, I have to admit, it was very negative and it was very repetitive. But um, I think it helped Bradley. It helped Bradley sort of get inside my head, you know, to know exactly how I was feeling about, well, about everything. Mm. 
see that's yeah so the second book is just sort of it's more my yeah. my perspective yeah yeah and your whole life yes well not the whole thing but mm. a lot of it mm. And can we talk about the movie for a second? I've got a couple of really sort of naughty questions to start with. Getting Naomi Watts to play you in a movie is not a bad run. Tim often sort of, uh, I guess, speaks out loud that he reckons in the the movie version of his life that Mark Wahlberg will be playing him. I'm not sure that's the case. (laughs) But but possibility. (laughs) Cam, did you did you have any input into to who'd play you? Clearly, Andrew Lincoln, good looking guy, you know, good you know, big movie yeah. star profile. Total spunk. <laughs> um, I had nothing to do with that at all. You, you weren't leaning uh, on casting. It was actually it was a, a very difficult process to find a, a cam. Uh, a lot of the Australian actors were either busy shooting another film or away in Europe. Um, Surely you know, there's Eric a spare Hemsworth was, brother. Mm. Yeah, it had to be right as well. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think that would that would fit. Um, and I just remember when Bruna, our producer, said that they'd found Cam. It was only it was only about a month or six weeks before. Yeah, maybe six weeks before shooting. So it was really tight, and. They said they got Andrew Lincoln, and I remember we both we went. Better, Who's that? Who's that? <laughs> and then, and then we sh- we googled him. And no, no, no. Bruna um, said, "Oh, he's the guy in Love Actually with the cards." And the cards. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, he's hot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then the stoked. and the boys knew him from from the um. The Walking Dead. Yeah. Ah, of course. Yes, yeah, so we've never seen that. No. Well, the boys watched it, but yeah, yeah. so. No. Yeah, we were so we were so stunned. I mean, he's like the, the loveliest guy ever. Yep, yep. He is. He's very similar. He's, you, you and Andy are very similar, don't you think? Yeah. Like he's he's, you know, he's just a very calm kind of just a really lovely, down to earth guy. And ridiculously two, good looking. He is very good looking. Mm. And then Cam, Cam said he'd marry Andy. Did Did you do time with your respective Hollywood counterparts? How much time? Yeah, like as much as we could. Like I, it was really cool. Noah and I went surfing with Andy down at our local sort of beach break, and that was fun. We spent, um, you know, time talking about camera technique and and me, me showing him, you know, how I hold my camera yeah, and okay. that kind of thing, because obviously that was a huge part of of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would ask me about what music I listened to and. Um, just a whole lot of random questions, really. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a short time, but it was in like an intense time, and it was, um, yeah, it was just really it was it was a really wonderful experience. And you you shot the movie in your house or parts of it in yeah. in your house? How was that? Yes. Oh, good. Um, well, they they moved us out, so because then they came in, they pretty much changed the whole interior of our house they put like um, wooden ceilings up wooden panels on the walls and and, and they painted it because our house is white and they didn't want to shoot in a white house <laughs> so yeah no, it was pretty fun i mean it was bizarre yeah. like we'd come back um and sort of have a look at what they've done but yeah no it was fun and i spent a lot of time on set which it was funny because naomi wanted me on set Whereas Andy um, didn't want Cam on set, which made total sense to me. 
if I was playing somebody, I wouldn't want them <laughs> like the real person <laughs> watching me. But yeah, so I spent a lot of time here, and, and Naomi used to want me to um, just watch her like transfer, like from say from the from the bed to the wheelchair, mm-hmm. just to make sure it looked authentic and all the technical kind of things. Yeah, yeah. so I was really grateful that um, you know she wanted to make it as as real as possible. Mm-hmm. So I'd always be going to her, no, Naomi, you have to slow down. Just slow down. Okay, so now switch your abs off. <laughs> Just pretend you have no abs. Yeah, no, she, again, she was so lovely. She was like Andy. She was really down to earth, very compassionate. And I think we did really well. Mm. The whole casting crew were amazing. The, strange, the strangest part was um, was we'd be chatting to her much like we are chatting to you now. And we would just be talking about random things. And then she'd get a little tap on the shoulder um, from the first assistant director. Say, come on, Naomi, you've, you've got a, you know. You're on. You're on now. <laughs> your, your scene's on. And then we would have a little monitor that we were able to watch. And she would go back into our bedroom. And um, within maybe three or four minutes, she'd be crying. This is a really intense scene or something like that. And then she would do like four takes of that cry every time. And like incredibly convincing mm. and then come back here and, and finish our conversation it's like, <laughs> we're like how do you do that i mean you know and and they were it's not to diminish like um i guess what she did because they were they were real tears like she would take herself somewhere that obviously created that emotional wow. connection to the scene and and some of the bigger scenes she needed um a lot more time to really focus on and and it was pretty amazing to to watch that and to experience that to see a, such a high caliber actor you know do that in our in our lounge room that was pretty cool and the end result were you happy with your respective portrayals on the big screen yeah very much so yes i was okay. i think i think we did a great job at looking very sad and very angry <laughs> <laughs> but, yes <laughs> um and how about the boys did how did they find the process and and their sort of counterparts were, were they pretty chuffed they spent a little bit of time with them but it was they were like we, we'd often say you guys want to come to set today they would be like no like Ollie would go off to the skate park to ride his scooter, and yeah, I mean, obviously they were they were like really excited that they were making a film about our story, but it didn't really affect them. Yeah, they were just you know just do their thing and yeah, come to set occasionally. They mm. <laughs> enjoyed the they enjoyed going to the premiere. That was pretty special. That must be pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Un- unfortunately, COVID. Yeah, COVID kind of got in the way, so Naomi couldn't come out to the opening, and it kept um, it kept it sort of a little bit subdued. But it was set on the right on the harbour in front of the Opera House and Harbour Bridge, and it was um, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, it was an amazing night. Mm. <laughs> um, some amazing coherence between Penguin and you, Sam, in terms of you, know, you rescuing Penguin. Interesting parallels there with the growth and getting stronger and being released into the wild. You grew up loving surfing, and at some point you refound that passion. Could you talk to us about that? Yeah, sure. So after my accident, I was, as far as I was concerned, I would never get on a surfboard again. 
And again, it was my first summer and Cam took me for a swim at Palm Beach, which is just a few beaches away from where we live. And our friend was, our friend was out there on his board. And he's going, come on, Sam, get on. You know, you used to surf. And I was like, no, no. And then he convinced me and he pushed me on a wave. I was like, that's not surfing. Because obviously I was just lying down. <laughs> and so then it took five years. It was five years after the accident. And I got a random letter from Nola Wilson. She's the mother of Julian Wilson, the ex-professional surfer. And I didn't know them. And she just wrote the most beautiful letter encouraging me to get back out in the ocean and give surfing another go. Hmm. So I owe a lot to Nola. So I thought, yeah, okay, I'll I'll have another go. And and I went in a um in a competition in 2018. Like my first just it was the Australian titles, adaptive surfing and yeah, it was really fun. That's when I got on the Australian team. And yeah, we've just continued from there. But I think what I loved about the adaptive surfing was it was like Cam and I were like, we were a team together. So Cam would push me onto the waves and come and save me occasionally. So it was just, it was fun. It was fun competing together. You've been very That's modest. Could you, could you rattle off a few of your surfing titles, Sam? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, well, I I went in um, my first world championships in um, 2018 in mm-hmm. California, and yeah, I won, mm-hmm. which was so cool. <laughs> so we, we took all the boys there, and oh, cool. they um they, yeah, they, they got is... to see Sam. You know, she's like lifted up high on the surfboard, and and yeah, it, it was seeing the Aussie Aussie Aussie, and <laughs> it was amazing. I, I was I was so stoked that I won, just in a strange way to sort of say thank you to them. And to just show them, like, sure, like, you know, we have faced so many challenges and difficulties, but you can still do some pretty amazing things. We're in 2022, and Cam, you're wearing a Surf Lakes hat. And this Saturday, uh, the Australian Para Surfing titles at Surf Lakes in Yapoon, which looks like an incredible facility. No, it's not, it's not, at, it's ah. not at Surf Lakes. We wish it would be at Surf Lakes. It's, it's going to be held at Port Macquarie. Port Macquarie, okay. Uh, well, maybe yeah, separa- the Australian titles are on. Separating those two, because you have been involved in what looks like an amazing facility, Surf Lakes Yapoon. Could you talk about what it is? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, an, it's been a really um, in development for the last five years or so. And um, the founder, uh, Aaron, basically, I think he, he, he explained to us that he, I think he threw a pebble in the water and he watched mm-hmm. the way the... The, the ripples expanded in a circular fashion and he thought wow imagine if we could create you know a plunger type thing to, to create multiple waves and that's and that's what they've done they most wave pools generally only have two rideable waves maybe a left and a right and surf lakes has this unique uh, opportunity where they can create really high energy, high impact kind of ways for like professional surfers with barrels and a lot of power. And then other waves that are softer and, and less challenging for people who are learning to surf. So we uh, have been up now about four times and it's uh, it's been just such a, such a great experience. Um, I get to surf sometimes and... Um, <laughs> But, but mostly just just watching, you know, um, Sam's face light up as you sort of push her into a, a wave. It's 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 an incredible experience because this is like sort of Mad Max kind of 
you know, structure, and you're really quite close to it. This huge metal um, plunger. It is plunger. called a plunger, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's literally, which is it, driven it down into the water. To the water. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's no, it's so it's so much fun. And so you know, I guess our role or Sam's role as ambassadors to to yeah. So um, that's the one thing actually I was so stoked about. So we'd been up there maybe two or three times. And um, yeah, and they asked if if I wanted to be an ambassador for Surface, which I thought was so cool. We could, you know, like an an old an old chick in a wheelchair <laughs> being one of their ambassadors. I thought that was that was really yeah. I, I was so chuffed. I was like, absolutely. He actually reached out after watching the movie, and 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 that really that was what got him. I think, yeah. Was nice. So yeah, so it's so, yeah, it's really really fun. You took Noah up there as well. How does it compare with the local break at Newport? It's just. Well, he loved it. Yeah, he loved it because he was surfing. Um, there, there's only two breaks at the moment which are working, and one is called Okis, which is quite a sucky wave. Like it's, you know, getting a barrel. Yeah, so he was pretty stoked. He got <laughs> he got covered. Yeah, he got to surf with Oki and. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be great when it when it sort of um, comes to the, open to the public. Mm. And then Port Macquarie this Saturday. What's your hopes and dreams for Port Macquarie? Or is that a silly question? Uh, well, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it's to get onto the Australian team again. But it's funny because um, we were just in Hawaii in June for a competition. It was the Hawaiian Adaptive Surf Championships. And for the last five years, I've been in the classification where I have Cam pushing me onto the waves in a competition. And um, we got to Hawaii and it was two days before the competition. And they were like, well, you sort of changed your surfing technique and you're looking a lot stronger. Mm. And so um, they changed my classification. <laughs> so now I'm on my own, which is a little terrifying. So um, I'm just hoping Saturday won't be, won't be big and dumpy and scary because yeah, I find it really hard to paddle because I have no abs. I am like paralyzed from my chest down. So all I've got is my arms and I can't kind of lift my chest off the board, you know, and yeah, paddle yeah. normal. Sort of like flat. So yeah, it's gonna be a challenge, but I'll be up for it. Mm, good. I'm versing the boys. Oh cool. Yeah. Which will be fun. So <laughs> Yeah, we'll stick it to him. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Sam, speaking of scary new things, um, public speaking. You've obviously um, really sort of fallen into a niche there. We, we had the, well, I had the absolute privilege of, of sharing a stage with you a couple of weeks ago, which is, I guess, how we, we sort of first met. But um, this is, has become, a, I guess, a big part of what you do now, sharing your story and, and inspiring people through your, your story. Um, how has that journey been? Is, was that something you, you had ever done before or, or something that came naturally? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm a full introvert. Um, public speaking has always been like, like you know, my my greatest fear, to be honest. Yep. It was funny, even when I first became a nurse, and you know, you'd go into like um, to do the handover to the next shift, and you'd have to you know read out your patients and all that. I hated that. I hated it. everyone was looking at me. I'd be like, oh, so embarrassing. So no. And, and that's in front of what six or seven people, and and now yes. you're doing six or seven thousand uh -huh. plus, yeah. Yes, yeah. It doesn't come naturally to me. I'm not like, you know, I don't own the stage, but 
it's gotten it's gotten a little bit easier. I must admit, the first time I did it, I sent Cam. Oh my god, I'm gonna be sick. I'm gonna be sick. <laughs> I literally thought I was going to vomit before I had to go up on stage. I was so so nervous, but I, I kind of enjoy. It. I still, I went obviously, I still get nervous. Yeah, no, I, like we we talk about resilience, and I think I am pretty resilient to essentially face my greatest fear. And that is get up in front of people and have to speak. So I am, I'm, yeah, it sounds strange, but I'm kind of proud that the fact that I have kind of overcome that. Mm, because just even the other day, Sam got up in front of two and a half thousand people and it was it's like, there's no way I could do that. <laughs> That's what everybody says. It's so funny. Mm. Even my sister said the other day, there's no way I could do that. And I'm like, seriously, if I could do it, I think anyone could do it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's being 100% honest. Yeah. Was, was so, that the one, you, Sam, also where there was the, the one-second delay between the, the audio just to make things yeah. even worse? Yes, that was that <laughs> was horrible. It was so off-putting because um, it was just this ginormous room and I just kept hearing myself. And then I'm thinking, oh, no, they, they, they must be hearing that as well. So, yeah, that was a little – that was very off-putting actually. <laughs> So you just yeah, being able to focus and and push through is is admirable. Because even you found it off putting. Because oh, um afterwards yeah. Cam got the Q and A and and you realised that you could hear yourself too. Mm. And mm. Yeah, it's a bit unnerving. But but there are all the there are all the great experiences that you you have, uh, you know, public speaking. And there's always there's always you're always learning. I mean, it doesn't have to be about public speaking, but just experiencing that is helps helps grow your you know your your ability to cope in other situations yeah and, and as sam yeah. said before you know the facing your, your greatest fear and coming through i mean it is incredibly impressive and and you know clearly the your whole story both of both of you cam and sam is incredibly inspirational and and it's no wonder that that you know two and a half thousand people sort of want want to sit and, and hear it even if the audio is a bit <laughs> a bit delayed I mean, we're certainly <laughs> we're certainly taking notes, and we'll we'll get the audio squared away. But we're really excited about having you uh, up on Fitzroy Island for the the inaugural resilience retreat. Um, can't guarantee two and a half thousand people. We can guarantee better audio comms. <laughs> <laughs> but, we can't wait. It's gonna be so. It's gonna be so much fun. It's gonna be really fun. I think it'll be cool. I think it'll be really cool. We're we're in the midst of a a wet Perth winter, and so the mm. idea of of just getting up to to North Queensland and a bit of sun is is pretty attractive. Let alone the, you know, having having you both there and and the content that we're looking at. Mm. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing. Sam and Cam, to wrap up, really keen to ask a question we ask uh, most of our, our guests, and that is, what is your power song? Is there a song that, that you can you can press and you, you go into that, that good hardcore mode or, or that, that can, can get you through sort of um, the, the tough times? Does one spring to mind for either of you or both of you? Like a psych-up song? Yeah, or it, it doesn't even need to be that. That's certainly what, what we've got a lot of great psych up songs in our, our um, uh, power song playlist. But even just one that, that you know, yeah, that, that you like listening to or that you, you keep coming back to. Far out. We have such I, a diverse sort of. Or maybe a psych up song would be maybe like Smashing Pumpkins or Radiohead. 
for me, one of their songs. Like it. Mm. In fact, I, I've got um, Bullet with Butterfly Wings on my little sort of exercise playlist. I reckon that's a, a good one. Yeah, it's funny. I used to always listen to Fatboy Slim <laughs> when I was mountain biking. Oh, that was cool, like to, um, yep, yep. to write it. I am pretty bad. I am quite notorious for listening to the same song over and mm. over again. Mm. You always comment. <laughs> <laughs> what are you listening to over and over again now, Sam? Oh, geez. What? Oh, this, this is a bit embarrassing <laughs> from mm. watching that movie, Queen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. And Sam used to hate Queen. I didn't. I don't think I ever hated well, them. But you... I never listened to them. No, I think she I just, just loved the movie. Yeah, I like the movie. Mm. So, but no, Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. I've I've like listened to Bob Marley ever since I was about thirteen. Yeah, right. Yeah, I love Bob Marley. Love reggae. I like so, it. I would say that. That's where it was funny actually, because when I was in a hospital at North Shore, um, Cam bought me. Um, a DVD, remember? Mm. You bought me the Bob Marley Live DVD, and that was my form of escape. Mm. I'd watch the DVD, put my headphones on, and just delve into just watching Bob Marley and listening to his music. So that, that, yeah, that meant a lot. I loved that mm. that DVD. Yeah, amazing. So thanks. <laughs> Will we the Unforgiving Sixty podcast has the Unforgiving Sixty playlist on Spotify? The songs, the power songs uh-huh. of all of our guests. We will include Smashing Pumpkins and some Bob Marley. Very good. Good choice. <laughs> Beauty. Well, thanks. listen, Cam and Sam, thank you very much for your your time. As I said, it, it was awesome to chat just now, and we are super stoked. Very much looking forward to spending a bit more time with you up in sunny, tropical North Queensland at the end of October for the Resilience Retreat. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you guys so much. It was so much fun. Awesome. Do they actually look like that? Or just really good at Photoshop? Oh, Lord. Isn't that strange? If you want to be beautiful, then please take my advice. Don't try to change to be beautiful. You already are inside. Oh, cause it just works that way. to see sometimes because of social media and TV but the truth we fail to realize is oh that's not how life's meant to be See 25-year-old actors playing someone who's 18 With bodies like they've never eaten fries And they spend all day at the gym Oh God How can I look that way?
hard to see sometimes Cause everyone's telling you what you're meant to be But what I want you to realize is Oh You really don't need to change a thing be like and I know deep down we'll try so hard to be the real beauty in this life fits within us oh so please don't try and change a thing further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad, or the ugly. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on The Unforgiving 60.